So that's why I'm jumping all over, because it's about the same thing, and that's what we want to look at. Now, I'm going, going to be going here in just a minute to Ezekiel chapter 18, so if you want to go ahead and get prepared for that, uh, we'll be talking about that here in just a minute. Uh, this group of verses that we're going to be dealing with today, this, this group of verses outlines for us the reason that God does not just destroy the wicked right now. And some people have thought, well, why doesn't God, if, he, if the weak, wicked are in the way, why doesn't he just get rid of them? Why doesn't he just take them off the earth? You know, why, why doesn't he just put them to death or whatever God would do? And the issue is going to be answered today by this text that we're working on right now. Why do the wicked get to prosper? Why do the wicked get to go on being wicked? And why doesn't God just put an end to it? And that's the issue. And there's more to add to this truth about uh, what we're going to learn this morning uh, than what is encapsulated right here in our, in our parable. And another scripture that would help us see this is Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, when we're in Ezekiel chapter 18, you can look at verse 2, and God in heaven had heard the people of Israel were using this saying in Israel. And what they were saying is, the fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So what they're saying is that our forefathers are the ones that sinned, and we're paying for it. Our forefathers ate rotten grapes of disobedience to God, and now our teeth are rotting out of our head because of their sin. And God says, as I live, he swears by himself, you will not use this in Israel anymore. Why? Well, because it's not true. And then he gives us some illustrations. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 14 of Ezekiel 18. And I want you to understand that he is explaining that if you're righteous, God takes that into account. If you're wicked, God takes that into account. A righteous man can give birth to a wicked son. A wicked man can give birth to a righteous son. And so what we're looking at here is, is that issue there. There's a, there's a father that is wicked, and he's going to be paying for his own sin. But then God says, well, here's the guy's son, okay? Lots of us have uh, some experience with kids that go different ways. We all want them to go the right way with God, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they split off and they go other ways we don't want them to. And uh, we need to understand that those kids will not pay for my sins before God, and I won't pay for theirs. And here he gives this issue. So he's talking about a son of a wicked man, verse 14. Now behold, he, that is the wicked man, has a son who has observed all his father's sins. He said he looked at dad and he saw all the things that dad was, that dad was wicked and evil. So he looks at his sins that dad committed and he observes and notice what he does. He responds by not doing the same thing as dad did, not doing likewise. And going on to verse 15. So here's what he doesn't do like his dad does. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppresses anyone or retains a pledge or commits robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor, in other words, to use them in a wrong way. He does not take interest or increase, but exercises my ordinances, walks in my statutes, uh, and will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. So what I'm wanting us to focus on, I have a wicked, rotten, nasty dad, and I have a son that decided I will not live like that guy, like my sinful dad. I'm going to live like a righteous person who loves God, and that's what he's been doing. Verse 18 says, As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his own iniquity. 
So God makes it very clear, I don't punish and, and judge a son because his father was wicked. I don't judge a father because his son was wicked. Everyone will stand for before God for their own sins, and you won't answer for somebody else's sins. And that's the point that he's making. The point is being that it is possible to have a wicked man have a righteous son or a righteous daughter. Don't mean to be just talking about sons here, but that's, that's uh, the easiest way to do it. Uh, because it is a righteous man uh, that can have a wicked son, that's true. It's a wicked man that can have a righteous son, that's true. And so if God took the life of the wicked man before his son was born, what would happen? Well, if God said, this wicked man is so evil and wicked, I'm going to take his life. He deserves to die for his iniquity. If that does that, then God is also taking the son who wasn't born yet. So what's happening is God says, I'm going to let the wicked man live. I'm going to let the wicked man have his way because I'm after his righteous son. And if I get rid of the, the man right now, I don't get the righteous son. So God says he, he knows who's going to be his, and he's going to protect that birth so that he can have a righteous son. Uh, friends, that works in all kinds of different situations as well. Uh, I've seen uh, people that want nothing to do with God adopt a, a kid, and that kid turns out to be very godly and righteous. And I've seen that the other way as well. Well, uh, God does not kill that father because he would be wiping out the righteous son as well. God does not end it all right now because he doesn't want to wipe out the righteous with the wicked. So if you have a wicked grandfather and he knows that two generations from now, God knows there's going to be a righteous son born to that grandfather. He's going to let the grandfather go and the, and the father go until he gets to the son. Another truth from a man by the name of Dr. George Ladd. <clears throat> I don't subscribe to all of his theology, but this was a good quote. Speaking about this, he says, the point is that the kingdom remains obscure in the present world and only the final day will bring God's true children into their vindicated glory and banish the wicked from among them. So in other words, there is a day of judgment that's coming where we will be able to see very clearly who belongs to God and who's faking it or doesn't even care about it and doesn't belong to God. We recognize that evil is still being sown in this world, all right? And you, you can see that by just looking around, seeing what's going on in the world. Well, here's the parable that Jesus taught to the crowds, Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus presented another parable, excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus presented another parable to them saying, so here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men, and he's talking about his hired hands or his slaves, whatever the case might be, who probably, because he's a wealthy man, he probably were helping uh, you know, put out the, the news of the seed and broadcasting the seed. All right. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came. So this, this farmer has an enemy. And uh, he went and he sowed weeds or tares among the wheat and he went away. So the farmer went out to this good ground. He put out good seed and an enemy came in the middle of the night. And he took other seed, and he, and he broadcast it in this farmer's field. What a rotten thing to do, right? But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares, or the weeds, became also evident. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? 
All right, so today farmers go to a lot of work and they buy registered or certified seed. It's been cleaned, the weed seed's been taken out of it. So especially if it's seed wheat, they know that they're gonna put some good seed in the ground, that it's clean and it's the right stuff. They pay a lot of good money for that. This, the, the boys wanna know, hey, what, did you get some bad seed? Or were you, were you throwing out seed that had weeds in it? What's, what's the deal here? Uh, and if you put out good seed, then why are there weeds out there? In verse 28, he said to them, an enemy, and that word in, in the Greek text, it, it can be translated a hostile person. So he said to them, an enemy, a hostile person has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go out and gather them up, the weeds, to go out and pull weeds in the wheat? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you will uproot, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them up and gather the wheat into my barn. So one thing happens with the wheat, something else happens with the tares. It's completely different. Now we have to skip 31 to 35 because it's later on that Jesus is in a house and the disciples say, hey, well, wait, before you go on, uh, tell, us, tell us what that tare wheat thing is all about. So in verse 36, then he left the crowds and he went into a house and his disciples came and said, explain to us the parable of the tares or the weeds uh, of the field. So that's going back to our former section. And Jesus said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So he just identified himself. Jesus said, in my ministry, I'm here to sow the good seed, the good seed of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the field is the world. And as for, the good, as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. So now we know, going back to the parable, uh, Jesus sowed the seed, and those who have come to faith in him, uh, they are the wheat, if you will. And, the, and this is in the, the field of the world. The good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one, which in the New Testament is a designation for Satan himself. So now we have two rivals. One of them is sowing good seed. Another one of them is sows bad seed among the good seed. And all we have to do is look around in the world and find out we are intermingling with people who don't know Jesus all the time, and they're intermingling with us. They belong to the evil one, and we, through faith in Christ, belong uh, to the, the Son of God, the Messiah. Verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned, that's the destiny of the tares, with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Now we know he's talking about people, those who believe and those who don't. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, so the harvesters are the angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, uh, and that's here this kingdom of God on earth, that isn't full-blown yet, but it will be when Jesus gets done with this. Please notice what he says is, I want you angels to go out. First thing I want you to do, I want you to gather up all the unbelievers on planet Earth. Not just the ones in America or the ones in the Middle East, but gather them all up. And their destiny is going to be uh, the fire. These are all stumbling blocks, what? To the faith, to the movement of the kingdom of Jesus, and those who commit lawlessness. So they stand in the way of the kingdom. Verse 42. And these angels will throw them into the furnace of fire. That's another word for hell. 
And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, another biblical description of, of the fires of hell. Then the angels, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what he's saying is that if you're one of those terrors, today you need to open your ears and you need to hear what God is saying. Because there will be a harvest at the end of the age. And the angels will know perfectly well, because some are shining and some are not, which ones belong to him and which ones do not at all belong to him. They will separate them, and then they have a, a different eternity. So let's go back to your notes if you're following along in the bulletin. I want to look at uh, the first point there, verses 24 to 30. Spiritually speaking, the world is not what God first created it to be. So this is another parable with the sower and his seed. But this passage has another sower identified in it, and he's a sinister one. It's the devil himself. The main point of the parable contrasts someone doing good and someone trying to ruin what they have done. The person that was doing good, that's Jesus. The person that ruined what the good person did, that's Satan. And Satan is out to destroy the church. He's out to destroy the people of God. He, does, he wants to destroy the Bible. I think it's interesting that uh, there, there's all kinds of cults in the world. And what they do is they take the, this Bible that we have and they pervert it some way. In some way they say, well, Jesus isn't really God or Jesus isn't really the Savior. Uh, this new IT Bible that they're coming out with is supposed to be uh, something that will make everybody happy. Interesting that they're changing and perverting the word of the Bible as we have it. They didn't pick the Quran. They didn't pick something else. They picked this Bible. And that's, there's a reason for that. That's what Satan wants to do away with because this tells us the way, the truth, and the life. And he doesn't like it. Well, the landowner sends his servants into his field to sow his crop. Now, the text doesn't actually say that he sent them, but we understand uh, the disciples also sowed the seed and Jesus sowed the seed, but uh, Jesus had help, but Jesus also sowed the seed. And they, the, the crop was out there. The seeds were out on the ground. And while they were sleeping, so in the middle of the night, a nasty guy sneaks in there, a naughty guy, an enemy of the landowner. Why doesn't he like the landowner? Well, because he's God and because he's righteous and he's good. That's why Satan doesn't like the landowner. We haven't got that part quite yet. And they came and uh, sowed weeds in the freshly planted seed. And that's a nasty thing to do. We're talking about the world. And Satan sows seeds of disbelief and hatred against God, and people grow up like that. In fact, we are enemies of God from the womb. We're born enemies of God, and we grow that way, and if it wasn't for salvation, we would end that way. He sowed tares, in other words, for weeds, and that's been identified by different Bible scholars and agronomists and stuff as probably being Darnell. Well, look how close it looks to wheat, but it isn't. And uh, we have the scientific name, and that was up there. It is said to be also a poisonous weed, a poisonous plant. And it looks like wheat when it's a young plant. I find that very interesting that he would choose a weed that is poisonous and is growing up against that which is trying to give life, and that is the wheat. The servants of the landowner discover the weeds, and uh, they have sprouted. I remember years ago when my father-in-law was alive and I was helping him on the farm. Uh, I just finished drilling wheat. And one, of the, one of the first ones that we sowed was already coming up. And we drive by that and he looks out there and he says, oh, there, there's cheat growing all over the center of that, that, that field. Do you see it? 
And I looked and I said, no, I don't see it. And he said, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lighter green than the wheat. I still don't get it because I'm colorblind. I don't know what he's talking about. So he drove around it in the field. We drove around it with a pickup so I could tell where it was. And once I got out there and on top of it, I could actually see it. So I went and got the tractor. I don't remember if I hooked up a sweep. You guys call it, what, a V-blade but, or a disc. I don't remember. But I went and I tore it all up. I just tore it out. And then I went back with the drill and re-drilled that. All right? That's a little bit different than what this landowner is doing. He recognizes that an enemy, a hostile man, did this. Satan is at work in the world to not let people understand the gospel. How do we know that? Well, we just finished learning about uh, another parable that the Lord gave about a man who sowed seed and it fell on different soils. And there was only one soil that was a good soil. And so we, we understand what Jesus is talking about here. There's weeds and it's darnel, and it's poisonous, and it's deceptive because it looks like the wheat, but it really isn't. And the servants want to know, should we go and pull it up? That's what I did with, with Harvey's wheat. I just go get rid of it. And he said, no, let them grow together. Why would he do that? Okay, why would he do that? Uh, we, we tore the wheat up that had the bad, the bad plants in its, in its area. We just tore it up. Jesus said, no, don't tear it up. Because when you're out there trampling things, you're going to trample some of the good, good crop. And I, I let them grow up together until harvest. Now, I had to get out to the place where I tore up the wheat, and I had to drive through there. And you could tell right where that was at harvest, right where I'd driven in there and all that implement stuff. It hurt some of the good wheat. And so Jesus says to the, the landowner says, don't go out there and do that. So he's, they're told no, and, and they're to grow up together until the harvest. The weeds and the wheat are going to be together. And the darnel is going to be gathered up and burned. And the wheat is going to be gathered up and put in the barn. And that represents, of course, the kingdom of God. So uh, Lisa put this in your bulletin for you so you can see this chart here. On one side, we have a landowner. On the other side, a hostile man. This is the tension in the world. On one side, we have the wheat. And on the other side, we have the darnel. On one side, we have the righteous people. And on one side, the wicked. One side we have the barn, and the other side is a burning. So if you follow it straight up and down, the landowner sows good seed, the wheat, and they are righteous, and they end up in the barn. The hostile man sows, sows weeds, and that's Darnell here, and they are wicked people, and they burn. It's very clear here he means in the fires of hell. So what are we here for? To try to keep people from that, to snatch them from the fire to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ so they don't have to go there. That's why we're here, to serve God and glorify him. So we drop down to the explanation in 36 to 43, and we learn that at the coming of the Lord, not the rapture, but the second coming, at the coming of the Lord, Jesus will separate the believers from the unbelievers, using his angels, that is, and each will have his just reward. And that's what's in the chart. Jesus knows who are his and he knows who are not his. Jesus knows who is serious about him and who is not serious. And the angels also apparently know because they will be able to separate them in an instant and gather them all up. Verse 36, as promised, Jesus is willing to uh, fill the disciples in on the meaning of the parables. He told them earlier, uh, I'm going to speak this way to the masses because they've rejected me, but you, my disciples, I'm going to tell you what this stuff means. That's what he's doing. So speaking in parables was actually prophesied of Jesus Christ because of the rejection that he was going to face. Uh, was known in the Old Testament. So I'm going to go to Psalm 78. 
and verse 2 and show you that uh, because uh, it was prophesied how Jesus would end up speaking uh, to these people. Certainly works better if I'm actually in chapter 78. It's a big one. All right. Pages are sticking together. I'll be there. Hang on. Here we go. This is prophesied of Jesus. I will open my mouth in a parable. A parable is wisdom sayings in the Old Testament. I will utter dark sayings of old. And that means sayings that are hard to understand. Riddles, if you will. Mysterious things. And that's how Jesus is speaking. The disciples say, hey, we'd like to know what's going on. So in verses 37 to 39, here's the real identity of the uh, different players in the parable. Note that we know this because Jesus interprets it, interprets it for us. There should be no question about the meaning of the text in the parable when Jesus tells us what it means. And yet there are, there are liberal scholars who have decided they're going to come up with another meaning. And they do that in other places in the Bible. But friends, if the Bible tells us what it means and it tells us what something else means, then we should go with that. And that's what we do. The sower of the good seed, the wheat, is Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God. Note especially that the one who sows is presented in the present tense. And so I look at my text here, and I've I've, uh, marked that in my text. Uh, When I get to verse 37, the one who sows the good seed. Uh, I, I know this may not bless your heart, but hang in there with me, okay? That's a present active participle. Hey, that's a blessing right there for you. Um, It's active voice, all right? That means it's happening now and it continues to happen. When you look down at verse 39, it says an enemy who sowed, that's in a Greek aorist tense, a past tense. And so that happened earlier on. Jesus comes and he is sowing good seed now in his present day. So it's about his lifetime, not before him. So the field represents the world. So we'll, we'll point to the other in just a minute. The good seed represents the sons of the kingdom and, and sons and daughters, of course, the believers. The darnell represents the unsaved of the world. They are sons of the devil. They are sons of the evil one, sons of Satan. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, Jesus says. Sowed there is in the past tense, the aorist active participle. So he did it in the past and it continues to the future. The devil sowed at some point in the past. We think probably he's talking about Adam and Eve. He sowed the seeds of sin in Adam and Eve, and they took the bait. And now death and sin have passed to all of us by way of inheritance, the imputation of sin, we call that in theology, and to all men. All right, an example of that. Acts 13, verse 10. Acts 13, verse 10. And so uh, Paul was speaking to by the Holy Spirit on a person that was causing trouble, a magician. And he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now, Paul usually doesn't just unload on somebody like that, but he's calling this guy for his because this guy is actively telling them that the apostles' message isn't true. Don't believe them. They're trying to pull people away. And by the way, that's, that's what uh, the, the enemy wants to happen. The harvest in this parable represent, going on here represents the end of the age, so it has to be the second coming. 
where the elect angels of God are harvesters, and they will gather all unbelievers and all believers to each face their own chosen fate. As an example of the angelic harvest, Jesus says that the angels will gather both up the unsaved and the saved in separate groups, starting with the unsaved. The fate of the unsaved is that they are to be burned like so much Darnell. This is not an annihilation of souls. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep or annihilation. It teaches a continual conscious punishment of the unsaved. And that, that makes our skin crawl to think about it. It makes us uh, be the kind of people that, yeah, we would crawl through a field of glass if it meant I could get to somebody and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That'd be way better than what they're facing. The angels of God know in every age and at every point who belongs to Jesus and who does not. We have trouble with that because people do different things. We wonder what's going on. But the angels don't. They're not fooled by the outward appearances of men and women. They will do this at the end of the present age, which is the second coming. Now, if that's true, for further clarification, God will send out his angels, and they'll go throughout the whole world, it says, and gather from out of his kingdom. The whole world is his kingdom. They're going to be gathering from out of the, out of the whole world, the earth, all offensive people who are those who commit lawlessness by denying the Father. Uh, the Father's Savior, let me put it that way, the Father's salvation through Jesus. Uh, here's, here's an illustration, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10. Paul is talking about this. For after all, I mean, why is this happening? Why is that going to happen? Why is this gathering going to happen, this harvest? For after all, it is only just, that means righteous, for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, the children of God, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to use as well when the I'm sorry and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will, re, will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire now we're talking about the same thing we're talking about in Matthew the same event dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, is really the definition of hell. It's the absence of Jesus. It's the absence of relationship with him. That's what makes, it, that's what makes hell hell. Uh, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you has been believed. So here's what happens. If you don't believe in the existence of hell, which many people don't today, and punishment for the wicked, uh, you're going to have a lot of trouble here because that's what the Bible says. God would send people to hell. Is that, what you're, is that what you're trying to say? That's what the Bible says. And we can't back away from that. He says he will if they don't trust in the Savior. And this gathering is another reason why I don't believe in a post Tribulational rapture. Let me just try to wrap our minds around this for just a minute, okay? I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, which means God's going to take us out of here uh, miraculously before the tribulation. Maybe five years before the tribulation, maybe three and a half, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the day before, it doesn't say, but he's going to take us out of here. That's pre-tribulation. There's people that believe you'll get into the seven-year tribulation, and in the middle, God will rapture us, okay? That's usually called a mid-trib point. Or when the wrath of God starts, they take it takes him out before the wrath, and that's called pre-wrath. So there's three different views, and the other one is 
post-tribulational. They say that Jesus will come back and that God will destroy some of the wicked, but not all the wicked, and he'll catch all the believers up into heaven. They go up there and say, hey, our king is coming. Here he is. Let's turn around and welcome him back to the earth. So you go up, you're raptured, which, by the way, has to mean, because the Bible says, you get your new body. And the all-millennials have realized that. You come back with a new body, and if God has destroyed all the wicked uh, unbelievers, now there's nobody to populate the millennial kingdom. Who's going to get married? Who's going to have babies? There is no one. We've been all changed. We have our new bodies. And all the unbelievers are dead. So they said, no, God is not going to kill all the unbelievers. God's going to let some of them live, and they get to come into the kingdom. They get to come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They get to come into the place of rest for God's children, and they populate the kingdom. Now, why don't I believe that? Why do I think it's pre-trib? I don't believe because of this text. And this text says the angels will come, gather all from all the earth, every person that doesn't like Jesus, that rejected Jesus. And they will be what? They will be thrown into the fire so, like so much Darnell, not able to enter into the blessed kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I have a different view. I believe he's going to rapture us before the tribulation. During the tribulation, people will come to know Jesus as their Savior for sure. At the end of that, God gathers those people up, protects them. He gathers the others up and puts them into the fires of hell. And then those people in their human bodies that were alive when, when Jesus came back, they go in and they populate the kingdom. Uh, thank you, Dr. Charles Ryrie, for making that so simple for us to believe, and for us to at least understand, I guess I should say. So post-tribulation.